Marshall's memories. But there's one thing the Connecticut man hasn't forgotten, how much he loves his wife. Tonight, News 4's Ida Siegel shows us how they continue to honor their vows in sickness and in health. This is a love story, the kind that romance movies aspire to, the kind that vows are made of. Love is forged in a fire. It is made up of trials. It is it's the most magical love story you'll ever hear. Lisa and Peter Marshall of Andover, Connecticut have been married for 12 years. But at this ceremony, Peter believes he's wedding the love of his life for the first time. He doesn't remember the last time. He doesn't even remember his bride's name but he knows he loves her. And I give you all that I am. And ever hope to be. And ever hope to be. Peter is 56 years old, and a few years ago, he was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. I mean, our hearts are connected. I don't, I don't need a label. I don't need to have a name because our hearts are connected. Last December, Peter had a moment of clarity. They were watching a wedding on TV, and Peter said, let's do it. And I said, do what? And he pointed to the TV, to the scene of this wedding. And I said, do you want to get married? And he said, yes. And he had this huge grin on his face. You know, and he doesn't know that I'm his wife. I'm just his favorite person. Do you like me? I like you so much. <laughs> I love you so much. Do you like me? Yeah. That's right. Oh. Peter fell in love and chose Lisa again. We should get married. I'm the luckiest girl in the world. I get to do it twice. Yeah. Lisa's daughter is a wedding and event planner. She put the word out and countless vendors offered their services for free. It was so perfect. Like I couldn't have dreamt for a better day. Peter, you may kiss your bride. Oh. oh. <laughs> I can't remember see seeing him so happy for so long. He was so happy. <laughs> Peter's illness is progressing rapidly. He no longer remembers the vow renewal ceremony from a couple months ago, but he remembers there's a woman who loves him and cherishes him always, something he expressed at the wedding. And he whispered in my ear, thank you for staying. Staying put in sickness and in health. Ida Siegel, News 4, New York. There's a part of that story that doesn't get mentioned in the TV interview, an interview that uh, Lisa Marshall had uh, a little before that. And at the very end of that article, she says this. She says, our hearts are connected and he loves me and I love him. So that's all that matters. All I need is for him to feel safe. And he does. So beautiful, isn't it? There's something about relational security, right, that makes all the difference in the world in our relationships. I love what she said. Uh, he feels safe with me. And so there's this beautiful story that has come out. She said she started to notice that when um, they were together, um, she's obviously his wife and so his main caretaker but he has other caretakers that come and help because of the early onset uh, Alzheimer's. And uh, she started to notice, though, that he was, he was starting to flirt uh, with her. And uh, that it just kind of progressed more and more where he was, like, wooing her, like he was falling in love with her, even though he didn't know that she was his wife. 
And she said that the reason for that, uh, two things. She said, I'm his favorite person, which I love. But you have to ask yourself why. What makes somebody a favorite person? And, and, and what she says, uh, he feels safe with me. Isn't there power in that kind of relational safety, that kind of relational security? A Song of Songs understood this truth uh, well before psychologists ever did. And, and although there are a number of references to relational security found all throughout the Song of Songs, probably the most famous verse in all of the book is what we're going to look at today as our metaphor for this concept of relational security and what God, I think, wants to say to us today. So before I get started, I would just like to pray. Father God, thank you for the privilege we have of opening up your word. God, you placed Song of Songs in your word to us because you wanted us to understand the beauty and power of all that you have created. God, the desire that you have for us to be in relationship with one another. Marriage was your idea. All that comes along with it, G-rated, <laughs> your idea, Lord. And we're so grateful for that. But it also points us towards something even greater. And so this morning, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us where we're at. God, for the individuals that are here, for those that are watching online, it's not an accident. You have something to say to us today. So I open up my heart, my mind, my eyes to see, my ears to hear, and I pray that for each individual. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Song of Songs, chapter 2. Uh, like I said, all throughout the book of Song of Songs, we actually see this concept of relational security, relational safety. It's talked about all throughout, but there is a really famous verse uh, that uh, I think you'll all recognize when we get there. And what I'd like for us to do is we're going to read Song of Songs, chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read verses 3 through 6 this morning. Chapter 2, verse 3. This is the woman talking, and she says, Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved, my lover, my husband, among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall. It's really the wine hall, the, the place where they're going to drink their love. And let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I'm faint with love. His left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. His banner over me is love. Uh, this isn't the first time actually in these uh, four short verses that we see this concept of relational security. We actually see it all the way back in verse 3 when she talks about uh, him being a shade tree that she gets to sit under. Uh, if you lived in the Middle East, shade is a wonderful, amazing thing that you don't always have access to. All right, here in America, when we talk about shade as a negative thing, like, ah, oh, he just threw some shade, right? He's not about throwing shade on her. He's about providing shade for her. And what that shows us is shade is actually a picture of security and safety. She actually, when she's with him, feels as though she can sit down and be protected, be covered, shielded from the difficulties of the world. She feels safe there. 
We also see in verse 3 and verse 5 also uh, this power of fruit and drink, uh, food that he's providing for her. She doesn't have anything to fear. There's a sign of security. She's not worried about whether her needs are going to be met. So she can sit and enjoy all that he has to offer. Um, Psychologist uh, Susan Johnson says this. Uh, She says, when we are emotionally disconnected from our partner, terror erupts. Now, I remember the first time that I ever heard that terror erupts, like when I was reading this this past week, I was like, that feels a little like over the top, right? Like terror, really? Because that kind of almost felt like hyperbole to me. Until I started like going back and uh, reading again some of the things that I learned when I was in college. Um, I was a psychology minor. Yeah, pretty much know everything about everyone with that mind. A psychology minor is like having like a, a brown belt in karate, okay? You know just enough to get beat up, okay? <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how I feel when it came to my psychology minor as well. Uh, but what I found is I was beginning to go back and, and, and study. Do you guys remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Right? Remember hearing about that, right? He's got like the different things and it comes. All right. So uh, one of the bottom foundational needs that we all have is this idea of safety and security. And it's not simply physical. All right. In, in the text here, they're talking about physical security, right? He's meeting her needs of food and drink. Uh, but there's something more there. There's emotional security that's just as important. The reason that uh, she uses the word uh, terror in connection to being emotionally disconnected from our partner is because there's something so basic that we find in our own design that when it's not met, we freak out, and rightfully so. Uh, She goes on to say, uh, we feel insecure, and therefore we become fearful and anxious, angry, We either get controlling or withdrawn. And she says this, the need to feel safe and secure is strong and primal. In other words, we were designed with it. At the root of these emotions is the feeling that we are fighting for our lives. When you feel emotionally disconnected, relationally insecure, you almost feel as though you're fighting for your very life. Uh, And it's not just true of relationships like boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives. It's, it's also true of kids, infants, actually. Massive ramifications for whether or not an infant feels relationally secure, safe. Same thing is true of adolescents. Same thing is true for young adults and for older adults and all other adults. Uh, relational safety and security is actually one of the building blocks of how we actually engage with the world around us. Not only that, but how we engage with every other person in our lives. Uh, Song of Songs understood this. When relational security is lacking, we feel like we're fighting for our very lives. We're looking for something that we have to have. It's not just a, a wonderful little extra treat that Uh, is added to our lives, it is the difference between whether we're able to live a well-rounded, normal, engaged life. Uh, God designed us with this need. Uh, She says it's a primal need. I believe that, and I have no idea whether she's a Christian or not, but I believe it's something God actually designed 
into our lives. And there's a reason for it, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But now we get to verse 4, which is uh, probably the most famous verse in the Song of Songs. His banner over me is love. I was talking uh, to my wife about this. Uh, we were trying to figure out, like, all right, how, when we're going through this series, where are we going to end on? What are we going to talk about? And she's like, oh, you got to talk about this, because I've always heard about it, uh, but I didn't ever fully know, like, what it, what it meant. So, babe, this is for you. And uh, I'm afraid you're going to be a little bit underwhelmed because it's not a whole lot to it. But uh, there is uh, something very interesting. And it's different than what uh, you and I think are used to when we think of banner, right? When you think of banner, you think of like something you hang like happy birthday banner, you know, or something like that. Uh, When they talk about banner, though, it's a little bit different. A banner was actually like a flag that you would carry with you into battle. Okay, so when he says in verse four, let him lead me to the, or she says, let him lead me to the banquet, uh, uh, to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. What she's saying is that his banner, this army that he has to protect her is actually an army of love. It's his love that oversees their relationship. It's his love that fights for her. It's his love that she's then unafraid to walk out into any other place with because she knows that that army of love is going to be with her. That's the banner that she's under. Now, since it's uh, July 4, okay, let me show you what this looks like for us. Famous painting, George Washington, right? Crossing the Delaware. And what does he have? Thank you very much. That's exactly right, because I have the American flag. That's what it means when it says, his banner over me. In fact, we see this concept of a banner uh, all throughout the Old Testament. You would raise a banner. It was to show whose name or whose power you come in. So in this particular picture, George Washington crossing over to fight the English, and he's like, yo, we're raising our banner, our flag. It's to say, I come in the power of the United States of America. Now, wasn't a whole lot of power back then, but he's showing like, yo, this is the thing that I'm coming. And that's exactly what she says. She's like, this mighty army that protects me is his love. His banner over me is love. It represents the power that stands behind him. She's protected with the army of his love. Uh, Dr. Ian Proven says this. His protection of her is attentive, committed, and prepared for trouble in the manner of a royal bodyguard looking after a well-loved king or queen. That's the concept of his banner over me is love. Now, in the Old Testament, we actually get uh, this uh, talking about God. Uh, In fact, there is a a, a word. um, There's a number of different names of God, but there's one particular name, a Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah Nissi. We see this in Exodus chapter 17. And what it means is the Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my power. It's the one that when we are nervous or afraid or we feel insecure, he's the one that we can run to because his banner, this power of God is what flies over me. It's protection, a place of care. And that's exactly what the writer who wrote these beautiful poems in Song of Songs is explaining talking about this concept of relational security because we were designed to need it. And when we don't have it, treacherous, terrible things begin to happen. Now, uh, he understands, uh, sorry, 
I'll say that in a second. She understands, first and foremost, that there is a physical protection that he is offering to her, okay? But it's not only physical. It's also emotional. It's more than just that he's going to take care of her needs. He's also going to take care of her emotional desires and needs, right? That's what it actually looks like to have the conversation about uh, relational security. It's both of those things. Uh, But it's a two-way street. He understands (laughs) that by taking care of her needs, all right, that he's actually helping himself. If she can flourish, then he can flourish. If she doesn't flourish, he won't flourish. This is another very biblical concept. We see this actually in uh, one of the greatest explanations of Christian marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. Paul says, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. You want to love yourself, husbands? Take care of your wives. If she's not flourishing, you can't. But if she is flourishing, you will as well. But I want to say this, okay? Relational security is not, it's not a feminine need. It's a human need, all right? I, I need it as a husband just as much as my wife needs it. Relational security is always a two-way street. It's not just something that a guy does uh, for his wife. No, no, no. It's something that needs to happen for both of us. So can I get a little vulnerable with you? Um, I told you guys a story a few weeks ago uh, when Brenda broke up with me when we were dating, Okay. She used the back of a Fruit Loops box where Toucan Sam literally said, variety is the spice of life. She thought, hey, that would be a great thing to break up with my, hu- with my boyfriend with. I'll use that line. Not so great for me. Almost ruined Chicago hot dogs, if you remember the story, okay? Uh, I, for a long time, really kind of felt like um, I wasn't worthy of Brenda. I... I grew up just always thinking, like, I just don't know that I would ever, like, be able to, like, win and woo someone that was that awesome. Um, Brenda, honestly, she could have probably had, she's going she, to, I'm going to owe her so much money after this. Uh, she she could have had literally almost any guy at Cedarville. I mean, I had multiple friends who were interested in, in dating Brenda. And uh, I think a mix of uh, probably getting dumped by Toucan Sam for like three days and the fact that I just had some insecurity in my own heart about who I was and what God had created me to be, that even when we got married, um, there was still some stuff that I struggled with, my own insecurity. And uh, we're human, both Brenda and I. So uh, there's been some times in, uh, in fights where we've said some things that probably were not the kindest to one another, often speaking out of places of hurt. When we were first married, um, really probably for the first decade, maybe 15 years, um, every year or so, um, I would have uh, a dream. And uh, it was a recurring dream. It's, honestly, it's the only recurring dream that I have other than maybe when I was a kid. And then you have the recurring dream about being at, at like school with nothing but your underwear or something like that. Like, I don't know what that dream's about. I'm sure there's something in my psych minor that could have helped me. Uh, 
but this is the only recurring dream that I've had in adulthood, and it, and it happened after Brenda and I were married, and it was a dream where um, in my dream, I'm not married to Brenda anymore. And uh, usually it would have something to do with the fact that um, we're not married, uh, but I know I'm supposed to be. Either she's uh, left me or separated from me, or, uh, and, and, we're, and I, we see each other, in a, but it's kind of across the room. And all I want to do is win her back. That's all I want to do. And I'm trying to have a conversation with her, but we're just quite a little too far away, and it doesn't happen. And, and I'm not even kidding. I, I would wake up when, this, when I would have this dream, I would be in a sweating, I would be in a panic, my stomach would be like, feel just completely sick. And, and then I would be able to like roll over and I'd realize, okay, no, no, that was just a dream. It was just a dream, but, but it was real. And it, and it was awful. Um, every, I don't know, year or two, I'd have that dream. I remember after we had kids, my kids were actually then in the dream made it even that much worse because this woman that I loved who was no longer with me and, and uh, she knows my imperfections. She knows my failures. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure I must deserve it, right? It must be like, but I, all I want to do is win her back. All I want to do. Uh, a number of years ago, um, and Brenda and I talked about uh, this uh, two years ago when we did our um, relationship series. Remember that? Uh, Rookies, Vets, and Free Agents. Um, Brenda shared how she started seeing a spiritual director. We're both huge fans of counseling. We've both been to counseling uh, together as a couple, uh, individually. Brenda started seeing a spiritual director. And as she was seeing the spiritual director, um, there were some things that God began to just reveal in, in her heart, in her life. Some past hurts that she didn't even quite realize were there that she hadn't dealt with when she was growing up. Some ways that she felt like maybe um, she wasn't living up some some things that had happened where maybe she felt like she couldn't fully trust. What does it look like to really trust not just God, but, but then also my, my husband? And, and, and so some of these things started to come up, and, and, and she and I started having some really wonderful conversations, and God began doing some beautiful things in her heart and, and kind of healing her. And I can remember uh, that time because it wasn't something that she did or something that she said. It was just the culmination of the Holy Spirit's work in her heart and life that I just began to notice a change. And the change wasn't necessarily how she treated me or things that she said differently to me. But all of a sudden, there was this sense of safety and security that, that I felt that I don't, that was stronger. It's not like I was always wondering, like, oh, is Brenda going to leave me? Like, it was never like that or anything. But it was always like this something subconscious that was there. And it was gone. For the last five or six years, I've not had that dream. And it's not like, oh, because of what Brenda did. No, there was some stuff that God was doing in my own heart and life too. But there's real power in that. Relational security is something that all of us need. It's something that God designed into our lives. And she deserves it. And so do I. I need to give that to her, and she also needs to give that to me because in the midst of that, there's flourishing, there's power, there's growth, there's intimacy and connection, and that's what God desires for all of us. He actually built it in to all of us. Uh, the reason that the Song of Song describes the loving relationships 
a loving relationship in terms of relational security and safety is because it's modeling for us what relationships were intended to be before sin entered the world. A Song of Songs is really trying to show us what it's supposed to be like in the Garden of Eden and what it's going to be like, again, in the new city when Christ returns. There's power and beauty that we find in the midst of that. It's what we all long for. Uh, We'll do almost anything to try to find it. And we have to learn how to offer it to our friends, to our family, to our spouses. Now, all of us fall short, right? Nobody lives up to it. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to do uh, two things to close this morning. Uh, One, I'm going to give you four super practical, super basic ways that you can actually grow in your ability to love somebody and offer them relational security, relational safety, okay? So I'm going to give you four things. They're super basic, all right? And then I'd like to close uh, with something that I think Song of Songs has been trying to teach us the entire time. Cool? So that's what I want to do as we kind of finish. So how do you actually grow a sense of relational security? How do you help somebody else begin to experience that? Here's four things. They come from uh, doctors Les and Leslie Parrott. Uh, The first thing, super simple, spend time together. I know it sounds lame, all right? Like, oh, well, duh. Oh, of course. Yeah, but you know what? What happens sometimes? You get into a relationship and a thousand other things begin to happen. Jobs and kids and hobbies, and you can begin to start feeling disconnected. You see that with your friends, don't you? Your best friend from high school may not be your best friend anymore. Right? The person that you were super close with in college, you might not talk to all that much anymore. That's just reality for all of us because if you don't spend time with somebody, you drift apart. And the same thing is true for any of our relationships, family, especially in a marriage relationship. Spend time together. Second thing, focus on commonalities. Focus on commonalities. There was actually a, a huge study that was done Uh, 6,000 couples that were still married after, I I don't remember what the time was, but it was a long time, and 3,000 couples that had divorced, okay? So 6,000 couples that had stayed married, 3,000 couples that had divorced. One of the things that they found is that uh, those that had stayed married focused on commonalities, okay? They could have been very different. Everybody's different, right? We all have, like Brenda and I, when we first got married, uh, we both thought we were pretty much like the same person. Like, oh, we like all the same thing. We got married, we realized, oh, no, we were way different. (laughs) very different people, okay? But the people that stay engaged because of the the level of relational security, they focus on commonalities. So instead of focusing on the things that are different, they're like, oh, we both like, I don't know if you (laughs) remember, I showed a video, I think it was uh, my first teaching in this series uh, from a movie, and and it's this, this couple, and she's telling all the things that they like together. It's like, we both love soup and snow peas and... We could talk or not talk for hours and still find things not to talk about. Um, the, the point is, when you focus on the things that you have in common, it actually builds a sense of relational security. Are you different? Of course. But focus on commonalities. Number two, or excuse me, number three, make your commitment part of your being. Let me explain what that means. But make your commitment part of your being. And this is true in any relationship. Now, especially true of uh, marriage relationships, but if you're dating, okay, if you are uh, friends with somebody in your family, make your commitment part of your being. Um, Dr. Leslie Parrott, she says this, as human beings, we create and define ourselves through commitments. And those commitments become an integral part of our identity. 
When we contradict our commitments, we lose ourselves and suffer an identity crisis. You can strengthen your commitment to your partner by choosing to make it a vital part of your being by giving it top priority, so much so that to break it is to break who you are. When you raise the level of commitment and you say this commitment is actually who I am, that will help you to honor the commitments that you've made. Because what you're saying in that moment is that to break it is actually to break who I am. It's very interesting what they say. When we contradict our commitments, we lose ourselves and suffer an identity crisis. That's true in anything. But it's especially true in our relational commitments. If you want to build relational security, we hold on to our commitments. And then the last thing is this. Number four, practice unconditional acceptance. Practice unconditional acceptance. This is actually one of the things that um, Brenda actually began to grow in. Not that she didn't accept me before, not that there wasn't even unconditional acceptance, but it was something that God began to do in her heart as God began to reveal some past uh, hurts, some past things that she needed to, to, to deal with and, and, and offer forgiveness. And uh, by offering some of those folks forgiveness, she found it even easier to offer that to me. And man, I'm telling you, friends, there is power There is power when you feel unconditional acceptance. Now, I'm not saying that we let anything and everything go. No, no, no. There's obviously accountability. There are things that we have to like deal with and and not just simply brush under the rug. But there's real power in being relationally secure and finding that when we practice unconditional acceptance. Now, those are the four things, okay? There's something there that God needs you to pay attention to. Pay attention to it. All right, that was what we prayed at the beginning. God, if there's something you need to say to me, it's one of those four things, something you're like, ooh, ooh, that one's huff. That one's, that one's difficult. I need to like step into that a little bit more. Awesome. Own that right now, cement it in. And now I want to close with this final thing. Uh, all throughout Song of Songs, there's been something that it's been pointing to. Certainly the song we believe is very much literal poetry, very erotic, okay? However... There is something beyond that, is, uh, that the Song of Songs is intended to point to. It's not only about a relationship between a husband and a wife. It's also connected to our relationship with God to us. The only way that you will ever learn to love at your full capacity or be able to receive love at your full capacity is when you understand and experience God's love for you. Um. Last year, we walked through uh, Psalm 23. Because Psalm 23 uh, tells us who God is. So what I'd like to do this morning is simply close. You, I think it's going to be on the screen. It doesn't have to be. Uh, you're welcome to follow along with me. But I just want to read Psalm 23 over us because it's a reminder that God's love is safe, that God's love is protective, that God's love is shade on a hot day, that God's love takes care of everything that we need. And when we begin to understand and experience God's love personally, not just something that I know about, something that I heard about, something that some friends over here might tell me about or I might see in them, but when you experience it for yourself, it begins to transform who you are. And it allows you to receive love from others and to give love to others in a way that you cannot know without knowing his love experientially. Psalm 23. 
we're reminded the Lord is my shepherd. God is our shepherd. God is the one who takes care of us, who watches over us, who guides us. And as a result of God being our shepherd, it means that we lack nothing. Everything that he has, now I have, because that's the kind of God that loves us, that shepherds us. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Look, if there is one verse that you need to memorize and have on the tip of your tongue and the front of your mind all the time, that's the verse right there. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd the ruler of everything, who owns everything and has everything. And because he's my shepherd, I lack nothing. It goes on and says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Did you know that a sheep will not lay down if they don't feel safe? They can't. They're too afraid. You ever seen a sheep? They don't have a whole lot of offensive weapons, okay? <laughs> all right? So they always got to be on the lookout for trouble, all right? They're basically just big, fat meals for a lot of other things, okay? So sheep, they can't just lay down unless they feel completely safe. And yet in the text, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. See, that's the kind of God who his covering brings safety and security, quiet waters, the refreshing of our soul. It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A shepherd has some tools, a rod, a staff. They're to guide the sheep. Sometimes it feels like discipline. But if you're walking close to an edge, a good shepherd's not just going to hope that his sheep falls off or stays on the road, I mean. No, they're going to come along and they're going to flank the side of the sheep to remind them, hey, move, move back over here. It's the most loving thing a shepherd can do. Not only that, but a rod is actually there also to ward off enemies, to keep you safe. And that's why I say, even if I'm in the darkest valley, I'm not afraid. Why? Because God is with you. God's word says he will never leave you or abandon you. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We're reminded, Philippians 4.19, that God promises to meet all of our needs. The sheep is surrounded by wolves, and he doesn't even care, not even worry. He sits down, and God spreads out a table before you and I. He anoints our head with oil. Your wine cup is overflowing. That's a God who takes care of our needs. He promises to do so. And it says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God doesn't walk away from us. God practices unconditional acceptance. God's love is safe. God's love is secure. God's love doesn't run. God's love only runs to chase you down. That's the kind of love that God has. And until you experience that love, until you fully understand, not just up here, but in here, you'll never be able to fully receive love from others or fully give love to others as well. And so I want to just close right now and I want to pray. And so I'm just going to ask you to just close your eyes and bow your heads. And I just, if, 
If there's somebody here this morning that just says, you know what, man, I, I just, I need, I need to experience God's love. Like, there's just been stuff lately, and I don't know if I can trust him. I want to pray for you this morning, and so if that's you, um, with everybody with their eyes closed, if you just want to raise your hand, I just want to know so that I can, so that I can pray for you specifically. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand, and I'll, I'll catch it. It can be nice and low. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's pray together. Father God, this husband-wife relationship, God, that is uh, exemplified and celebrated in all of its beauty and amazement here in the Song of Songs, God, we want to live into that. And God, we live in this broken world where we're kind of like in this in-between time. Like, yes, Jesus has come, but not everything is fully fixed yet. And we can't wait for that day. So God, while we're in this in-between time, would you help us be people who live out, who live out the, the ideals that you have expressed in Song of Songs? It's relational safety and security that, that we need to give to one another so that we can flourish our kids brothers and sisters, our family, our spouses, our friends. God, let us live into that. But God, we know that if we don't understand and haven't experienced your love in its fullness, God, it's really hard for us to be able to, it's impossible for us to fully receive love the way that you intend and to give love the way that you intend. So God, I pray for those individuals, God, right now. You know who they are. Maybe even some folks that just didn't feel like raising their hand, but God, right now, they're talking to you. God, would you just show up Show off, show yourself, God. I know who you are. I've experienced it, but God, I can't make that happen for somebody else. So Holy Spirit, right now in this moment, would you just let them know how loved they are? God, when we surrender ourselves to you, when we invite you in, because God, you never force your way in. Your love doesn't do that. Your love doesn't force. Your love sits patiently, waiting, pursuing, God, when we invite you in, God, would you just show yourself to be so true that, God, what your word says, what I've experienced, that, God, others would experience it as well. God, let us all experience that, that we would walk out of these walls in your love to be able to offer it to others. Oh, God, our world is just, just crying out for some security and safety. Let us be people who bring it. In the name of Jesus, pray all these things. Amen.